Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. It's me, the double G, Greg Gregory. Wow, what a few weeks it's been, isn't it? Getting over my shoulder surgery, my rotator cuff, and we're back here working. And we're going to have a lot of fun. I got a short session for you today. And uh, we're going to talk something about called the Lone Ranger Syndrome. Now, for those of you who are regular listeners to the Teamwork Advantage, you know that we offer impactful ideas that you can use immediately. And these are absolutely right on target for you today. The Lone Ranger Syndrome is something kind of different. You see, think about it this way. New hires, when they start with a company, they really feel like a Lone Ranger. And that's kind of what this started out as. And in my book, One Team, One Dream, uh, it's on page L75. And this was done before the pandemic. So some of the stuff we talk about in the book is spot on for new hires. But we're going to actually touch a little bit more in this today. And we're going to touch a little bit on how it works in a pandemic. Now, we're going to talk about the other stuff, too. But Lone Ranger Syndrome is where people, they don't feel like they belong. And it's possible that somebody could be on a team for years. A new manager comes in, a new a couple of team members come in, all of a sudden there's new clicks. There's all kinds of things. So LRS is the Lone Ranger Syndrome. And like I said, in our book, we could go into detail about a lot of stuff. And we're just going to talk a little bit about it here today. And again, it starts with new hires. That's the biggest place we got to look at it. How do we get people involved? Now, I will say this, that the COVID-19, the pandemic, has called Lone Ranger Syndrome among everyone to massively increase with new hires. Okay, let's think about this now. If your company's expanding, if your organization's expanding, and you're bringing on new people, wow, they're coming in, they don't even get to have face-to-face communication with people. So all of a sudden, how do we recognize it? Well, it's when people start to feel left out. Uh, they start to feel like they're on an island all by themselves, like they don't belong there. And the one thing that will is the telltale sign of everything is they begin to withdraw. Now, when the pandemic hit, there's a lot of that happening. People don't know how to react. They didn't turn the cameras on. They were doing Zoom meetings. They didn't know how to do things. Some of that's gotten better. Yet it's still a big challenge because some people are not, well, I don't want to say not extroverts. They're not necessarily extroverted. And they begin to withdraw. They crawl back in their space. That's the critical part. So these are some of the things we've got to do to recognize, uh, especially with new hires. Okay. So with the new hires, a couple of quick, quick tips. And this, this is so key. I am amazed at how many organizations today still don't do this well. And today, it's doubly, triply important 
Make sure that all of the IT logistics are in place. Passwords. I mean, temporary, of course, but make sure they've got them. Make sure they've got all the access to it. Make sure their desktops are set up. If you're using um, a, a, a desktop that everybody has access to and share drives, whatever you're using, make sure those are in place and working before they ever start. That's number one. Now, um, again, with pandemic, it's even more important. But let's talk a little bit more here. Somebody's new. They haven't had a chance to meet people, or maybe they met one person. One of the things I always tell is to get them a team partner and then start to rotate them around so that that person is kind of their guide, uh, maybe a mentor, just a, a team partner to help them for the first several weeks. And again, the best thing is to rotate that. So they work with Bob one day, Susan another day, then they start to work over here with Leah, and then all that starts to come together. Okay, they start to feel like they have a connection with people. Remember, one of the biggest challenges is they feel like they don't belong. By giving them a partner, that lets them feel like they belong. By rotating partners, they feel like they belong to more than just one with one person. They feel like they're part of a team. And that's what this is about. One of the other things that it needs to be done. Whether you're a team member with new hires or the team leader with new hires, reward early successes. Maybe even more so than you might normally. My father was notorious for saying, I'm not here to kiss anybody's butt to get in, do the job they were hired to do in the first place, sit down, shut up and work. In this case, new hires need, need, to have they need to get established that they belong on something, that they're doing something right. Now, don't reward them for doing less than average work. We need to recognize, reward them on those things. And the other thing, especially if you're in a leadership role, in that leadership role, you need to have regular debrief sessions with them for the first several weeks. Sit down with them uh, every other day. Uh, it could be a 10 or 15 minute Zoom meeting. And again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stress the power because what happens if we're just doing the phone call or the cameras aren't on, the problem is we can't see facial expressions. We can't see things like, sure, I'm there and the person's really frowning. Okay. Uh, we need to make sure that we can see things so that leaders can make, make appropriate adjustments. You know, an airplane in the olden days, back before everything was all autopilot, in the old days, an airplane would leave San Francisco on a nonstop flight to New York, and it would be off course a, a large percentage of the time, some say over 95%, because of the rotation of the earth, everything spinning, they had to constantly make in-flight corrections. Well, that's what we've got to do with new hires today even though you may know their personality style, behavior style, you know how to communicate with them. We need to have these debrief sessions to chat with them, get to know them. And again, getting to know everyone on your team. Everybody needs to know something about everybody on that team. Communication begins before the crisis emerges. Let me say that again. Communication begins before 
the crisis emerges. That's the key things. So new hires are really key, whether it's a pandemic time, remote working or not. If you're in one of those jobs where people still have to come into work every day, healthcare, for example, getting them involved, getting them engaged with other people is so key. But let's talk about remote working. Let's talk about COVID-19. Get people on the teams set up in dyads. Get them accountability partners. And switch them up every few weeks. Now, remember we said with the, um, with the new hire, get them somebody and rotate it basically almost every week, but very, very frequently. Here, you don't want to necessarily do that. You want to make sure that they have a, an accountability partner. And then switch it every few weeks. Not everybody's going to mesh with everybody. That's a fact. If everybody was the same behavior style, got along the same way, it'd be boring. By doing these dyads and accountability partners, we start to get people more engaged with each other on the team. And they start to learn. Accountability partners actually, if you really want to stop and think about it, they actually become each other's mentors. And why are mentors important? With a mentorship, everyone's work improves. Morale improves. Everything starts to get a little bit better. There's cohesion that starts to build. You know, mentoring is kind of like tutoring, isn't it? I can remember my freshman year of college. I was... um, I, I make no bones about it. I was not a good student. I mean, I always tease people and say I was in the part of the class that made the upper half possible. I just did not like school. I got through high school. And it's interesting because ninth, 10th, and 12th grades, I had a GPA that was about 2.2. That's right, 2.2. For some reason, in 11th grade, my junior year, which is considered by many to be one of the most difficult years through high school, I had a 3.89 GPA. It was teachers that did the difference. Now, when I get to college, I'm still struggling. I was not a good student. But there was one class. There was an algebra class. I went back because I'd taken a year off school. So instead of jumping into an advanced algebra, I wanted to go back and take a course to help get me acclimated again. And so I took this algebra course, and I must have done really well in it. I was getting a good solid B in the class. And then the teaching assistant, the TA, came to me one day and says, Greg, there are some people in this room that could use your help. Would you consider tutoring them? Folks, let me be clear about this. I have never, never been asked to tutor someone in any school environment. Tutoring and mentoring in business, that's a different story. I'm talking about in high school or college. Me, the tutor, it was more likely I was going to be on the other end of that. But the TA, and I don't remember his name, but the TA said to me, I want you to help these people. So I set up tutoring times and we sat down and I worked with about three or four people. We went through things and you know what happened? 
my solid B jumped up to a solid A. One of the very few A's I ever got in college. But because I was now teaching the information, mentoring, tutoring, whatever word we want to put with that, it was a much better for me. So in work, one of the things I enjoyed doing was teaching other people. Because when I started teaching, when I was in the mortgage business, when I would teach new people how to do things, they grew. And guess what? It reaffirmed my mission of what I was doing and how I could do it better. Even today, as a speaker and consultant, I will often work with rookie speakers, trainers, work with them, because it reminds me of what I need to do. So in your place of business today, what about that? Can you be a mentor to someone? Can you set up a true, you know, accountability partner? And each person then starts to mentor the other. What would you do if? Those are questions that need to be asked. That is powerful. And as I said, when you start to do that, the, the quality of work absolutely goes up. The error ratios go down. The cohesion of the team gets better. The energy level, the camaraderie in there, everything gets better. And isn't that more fun? Some of the best teams I've ever worked with are teams that really, they know each other so well. Now, they can pick on each other and they can laugh at each other, but each other, they do it in fun. But when push comes to shove, it is amazing at how they work together. I had the privilege to work in the operating room several years ago with a hospital in Virginia. And we teased them because I was doing a program on team building. And we teased them and told them that I was going to be coming in that day and they were having a guest in the OR. Now, this was a bypass surgery, heart bypass surgery, surgeries all day. And our program for training started at 5 p.m. after surgeries were all done that day. And by the way, it was on a Friday. And we had to come in on a Saturday. So you already know nobody's excited. So we told everybody that I was a reporter working on how technology is impacting the operating room. I was dressed up full set of scrubs. Nobody could see my face except my eyes. I couldn't see anybody else's. We were just there. So I had a couple of the guides that would take me around to the different rooms. And I remember one of the first rooms I went into, bypass surgery. I'm standing over by the door and I'm watching people. And I'll never forget, the surgeon said to me, well, if you want to see anything, you might as well come on over here. See, this wasn't one of those things you see on TV where they're up above, looking down. I was in the OR. Yes, it was cold. There were about eight people in there that day. I walked around towards the table where the patient was. The surgeon says, there's a step there for you to stand up on. And he did say this. He said, if you have to faint, would you please faint backwards? <laughs> Which I learned later, of course, almost everybody faints backwards. As I stood up there, I thought I was going to be grossed out. I wasn't. 
I stood up. It was, it was unbelievable. The surgeon, his steady hands. Now the surgeon and the anesthesiologist that were in the room were not part of our training session that was going on that night. The assistants were. In that room, directly across the patient from the surgeon was the main assistant. To the surgeon's right was an, uh, a technician assistant handing tools. Behind the surgeon was the perfusionist, keeping the blood flowing through the patient's body. Then there was another assistant with tools at the other side to replace as they necessarily needed to. And then they had another uh, assistant over by the door, making sure temperature was right, anything they needed, any disasters, they could get out and take care of things quickly. I was amazed in that situation, how well that team worked together with communication. Ironically, and this is the good part, later that day, I saw that same team of, uh, of uh, professionals, not the surgeon or the anesthesiologist, but the folks who were going to be in my training. I saw them later, and they were picking on each other and laughing. You see, humor and everything is great about eliminating Lone Ranger Syndrome. Everybody, everybody feels like they're part of something bigger. And isn't that what's important today? That we all feel like that? Some other things to do around Lone Ranger Syndrome. Make sure team members understand each other's behavioral styles. Now, when I talk about behavioral styles, I'm talking about your the best ones out there. There are two outstanding profiles that you can use. One is called uh, Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, MBTI. That is more of a personality. It's an outstanding assessment. The other one that I use very extensively with my programs, my clients, is called the Everything DISC model. And DISC is D-I-S-C. Now, there's lots of programs out there calling themselves DISC. The original one dates itself back, and you can identify it by a capital letter D, a lowercase letter I, a capital S as in Sam, and a capital C. Have a circle around it. You see, that becomes a logo. They couldn't trademark a single word. So that's the power in that. Now, there are several others out there. Now, don't get me wrong. There's all kinds of disc profiles. A lot of them are very good. Um, I'm just saying they are knockoffs. They are different. You need to check the validity studies on all of them. But get something. There's colors. There's all kinds of things. There's strength. There's so many different types of profiles that you can use. Now, one thing I want to be clear on. Profiles like DISC and Myers-Briggs are not approved for hiring. They're not. They're designed to help provide better customer service, better leadership, better teamwork within the team, but not to find out somebody's style to hire them. It's just not approved. Now, once they do the styles, one of the tools I use within the Everything Disk model, especially the Everything Disk Workplace profile, is I have them all write down their, um, their style, put their dot where it comes, and then they'll, um, they'll simply just go and write down three things to work with them better. 
For example, if somebody is a high D dominant style personality, to work with them better, get to the point. Number two, don't waste time chit-chatting. Okay, give me the facts, but don't burden me with a lot of detail. Conversely, if somebody is a C or conscientious style, then that person wants all that detailed information. They get upset if you don't. But they have in common with their D partner, they don't like idle chit chat. They like facts and information. So there's a hybrid. And by the way, we all have a little of all of them in us. What happens is once we know each other on our teams, once we have that feeling that we are part of something bigger and we are cohesive, then we're a team. Then you eliminate Lone Ranger Syndrome. And Lone Ranger Syndrome is just one small portion of a very powerful one team, one dream. Until next week, remember that having a good day is just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, you're not average. So make today an excellent and exceptional day. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.